we find not only the two stories that Christina referenced in her song, the little lad who had a lunch on that day that, when blessed by Jesus, was used to feed a multitude, and the widow of Zarephath, who gave her last meal to the prophet Elijah, who just happened to her door. We find another story in Luke chapter 21. When Jesus, with his disciples, was standing there near the temple and saw the rich coming and bringing their gifts to the temple and putting their gifts in the treasury, we find that in Luke 21, in verses 1 through 4, that he saw a certain poor widow putting in her two mites, two pennies. And he said, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all, For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she, out of her poverty, put in all her livelihood, all that she had. The title of my message today is Profit and Loss. Now you might think that title is more fitting at the heading of a statement, a financial statement for some business. Now, how many of you are entrepreneurs or have been entrepreneurs at some point in your life? Oh, am I the only one? <laughs> if, if you've ever been in a business or been part of a business, you know that one of the most important statements when it comes around time to review finances of that business is a statement called the profit and the loss statement. So it goes something like this. If I have a business selling apples and I sold lots of apples and I made $700 selling apples, but I spent on my materials and my costs, how much profit or loss did I have, right? And so you can do the simple math, and I had $300 of profit. So so we look at this all the time. When when you're talking about money, we we look at how much profit did I have? How much loss did I have? Now, the Bible actually speaks quite a lot about profit, And it speaks quite a lot about loss. Now, it's not a profit and loss statement, as you would think of in a business. But I like the verse that we read earlier during the scripture reading, Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. You see, there's a principle that we find in the Bible Jesus says that the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And here we find that the gain becomes loss. It's as if everything is reversed when it comes to the Bible. The gain becomes loss, and in the converse, the loss becomes gain. What are we talking about here? What, how can this be? Yea, indeed, I count all things loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. What we're talking about here is a principle of stewardship. What things were gained to me I counted loss, for Christ. You see, the scripture says that we are not our own. We are not the masters of our own empire. 
but rather we are simply servants. Servants of a God who has entrusted us with his goods. And in entrusting us with those blessings, he expects a return. There's a principle that we find all through the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, well, maybe not quite to Revelation, but from the Old Testament through the New Testament. Let's pick up the story in Genesis. I think you'll see where I'm going. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. It's a story of tragedy and triumph. Genesis chapter 14. Abraham's nephew, Lot. Maybe choosing, yeah, I'm I'm telling the story, right? Abraham's nephew, Lot, had gone down into the fertile plains of the valley of Sodom. He'd gone into into this city, and then the enemies came down. The enemy armies came down and captured the city of Sodom, carried away captive men, women, and children, carried them off into the desert, and sat down to have a party. It was a terrible blow, a terrible loss for, for Lot, for his family. Lot, his family, everything they had had been carried away. Now they were captives, slaves. But when word came to Abram, just a nomad, nomadic farmer dwelling in his tents, when word came to Abraham, Abram, your nephew, the city of Lot, everything has been taken, he mustered his small band, and with the help of God went down, attacked the Amalekites, and rescued his nephew. Well, that's the precursor to this story that we pick up in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. After, after Abram had brought back his nephew, he brought back his, all of the, the wives, he brought back all of the spoil. Abram does something very unusual. Unusual not for Abraham, but unusual for anyone of the time and of the place. You see, rather than keeping all of the spoils to himself, he says to the king of Sodom, I'm not going to keep anything that I have. I'm going to let you have it all. It's not mine. God gave it to me. But before he returns the stuff back to the king of Sodom, of Sodom he does one thing that's very unique. This man comes out by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. He was also a priest of God. Melchizedek comes out and blesses Abraham. We pick that up here in verse 19. Blessed be Abram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And there's a very interesting statement here at the end of verse 20. And he, Abraham, he gave him a tithe. Of all. A tithe. What is a tithe? That's a word we don't use commonly in our day-to-day language. But it's a word, the root word means a tenth. One in ten. Abraham took everything that he had gotten from Sodom. And he gave to this priest one tenth. 
What did it mean? You see, it's connected here with this blessing and glorification of God. You see, Abraham gave not to the priest, but to God through the priest, an acknowledgement of his gratitude and thanks in recognizing that what he had taken from the, from the Amalekites, this, this spoil of the, the city of Sodom, was not his own to possess, but something that God had entrusted to him. Well, this may be the first time we find this principle in the scriptures, but it is by no means the last. We find in Leviticus chapter 27, in fact, all through the Levitical law, but Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. Don't worry, we won't spend all of our time today in Leviticus like we did last week. Leviticus 27 and verse Oh, I said 27. I looked up 17. I said, that's the wrong passage. Leviticus 27 and verse 30. And all the tithe of the land. What is the tithe? A tenth. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 21, you can write these down if we don't have time to look them all up. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. All the tithes were, were brought. You see, once the, once the economy of Israel was set up, all of these laws and rites and ceremonies, one of the important laws in this system was the law of the tithes. The children of Israel were to take a tenth of all of their increase, whether it was the seed of their grain, whether it was the fruit of their trees, whatever it was, and set aside one-tenth for the Lord. Now, how did they give it to the Lord? Now, it wasn't burned on the altar, as, as many of their animal sacrifices were, but it was given to the priests. It was given to the descendants of Levi, who were especially called of God and set aside to be the family of the priests. It was given for their support in, in payment, so to speak, for the work that they had done in keeping up the temple and in all of the religious services that had gone on. So the tithe was used for, essentially for paying the priests. We find in uh, Nehemiah 13 and verse 12, this is long, long after the time of Moses and Joshua, Nehemiah Chapter 13 and verse 12. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil into the storehouse. They brought the tithes into the storehouse. Now this is an important principle here too, and we can find this all through the scriptures, that the tithe was brought into a central location. It wasn't just kept in the individuals. of The individuals didn't just set it aside and keep it, well, this is my slush fund, this is my emergency fund, I'm going to do this... They brought it to a central storehouse, and out of that storehouse, the Levites received their, their goods and their payment. Now, this wasn't just an Old Testament phenomenon either. We find it also in the New Testament. It's kind of in an interesting sense. Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 23, this is one of among the woes or, or, or curses, not really curses, but uh, 
Jesus pointing out the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. Now, what is mint, anise, and cumin? It's, it's little herbs. They would take their little spices and they would measure out very carefully one-tenth of each of the little spices. You pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. But notice what Jesus says here at the end of the verse. I think this is very important. He does not say, forget about paying tithe and worry about the big matters of the law. He says, these ought ye to have done without leaving the others undone. Did Jesus condemn the Pharisees for paying tithe of mint, anise, and cumin? No, on the contrary, he says, you should have done this and done the weightier matters of the law. And we find in Hebrews chapter 7 that the writer of Hebrews references all the way back to this story we find in Genesis the story of Abraham paying tithe to Melchizedek. And through this story, the writer of Hebrews demonstrates how Christ could come as a priest. Even though Christ was not a descendant of the Levitical, uh, of the Levites, he was not a descendant in the line of the priests from Aaron, but Christ came as a priest outside of the lineage of Levi. Okay, that was kind of the point that the writer of Hebrews was making through this analogy, this reference to Abraham paying tithe to Melchizedek. But in doing this, the writer of Hebrews powerfully demonstrates, emphatically establishes the validity of this practice of tithing. See, this practice of tithing long predates the era of the the laws of the Levitical priesthood. It long predates the, the sacrifices and the ceremonies connected with the temple. In fact, it goes back to the very earliest worshipers of God. I want us to back up for just a minute. When God created this world, think about it. God created this world and he planted a special garden. Then he created the man, he created the woman. And what does it say that he gave to them to tend and to keep? He gave, we find that um, in, in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. You see, God gave to Adam and Eve a garden. Not to have, not to spoil, not to, not to possess and take and do whatever they wanted to with it. But they were stewards of the garden. They were the gardeners. God said, you can live here. You can enjoy this. You can make it yours. But realize something. That before it was yours, it was mine. And it's still mine. I still have my claims on it. Are you seeing a pattern here? You see, in the very beginning, God gave to man, God gave to us, several fundamental gifts. First and foremost, he gave us the gift of life. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, turn there with me to Genesis 2. We'll we'll follow this through. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. 
And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God gave to you and to me this gift, this incredible gift of life. We see the sad consequences when the sanctity of human life was violated in Genesis 4, the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. And you see here God saying to, to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. We see this principle of the sanctity of human life. You see, if you and I just simply belong to ourselves, if our bodies belong to us, then we could do whatever we wanted to. If it feels good, do it. If it tastes good, eat it. But you see, when we have that attitude, we miss a very important principle, that God created you and he created me special, and we are not our own. That's the first gift, the gift of life. Secondly, the gift of relationship. We see that in the gift of the marriage that God gave to Adam and Eve. We see that in the gifts of family, fathers, mothers, children. The gift of relationship. In Genesis chapter 2, you're still there. Look at verse 24. Genesis 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Let me back up a, a verse. I love this, what Adam says about Eve. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The gift of marriage, of love, of relationship is not something that you and I have that we can generate from ourselves. We cannot generate love out of our hearts. It is a gift of God. And when God gives love to you and to me, he expects us not to hoard it, but to share it with others in the relationships that he has given to us. That's the second gift. A third gift is a gift of time. What else, friends, is life made of except this gift of time? And in a very special way, God consecrated the time. He worked for six days. And on the seventh day, we find here, going all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, Genesis 2 and verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. Are you seeing a pattern here? God gave to us life. And in giving to us life, he has claims upon our life. He gave to us relationships. And in giving to us relationships, he has claims on those relationships. He has guidelines within which those relationships are to be expressed. He gave us the gift of time. And in giving us time, he claims one day in seven as his own, with a very special blessing. Last but not least, he gave to Adam and Eve, and he gave to you and to me, the temporal, physical blessings of life. We find that in verse 15. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. You know, in a very real sense, friends, the story we have here in the garden of Eden is a story of stewardship. Think about it. 
He says to the man and to the woman, verse 16, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. You can eat of all of this. I've given it to you. But, but, it's always a but of one tree. That's not very much. How many trees do you suppose were in the Garden of Eden? I have no idea, but I imagine it was hundreds. I've seen just small orchards with hundreds of trees. One tree out of hundreds, maybe thousands of trees, all different varieties of fruit. One tree. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And we know the story. Instead of being grateful to God for the bountiful blessings that he had given to them, and of enjoying the fruit of a thousand trees in this garden, instead they had to go to the one tree from which they were forbidden to eat. And we know the sad consequences that were to follow. You see, friends, God has given to you and to me, the same way he gave to Adam and Eve, the gifts of life, the gifts of family, the gifts of time, and the gifts of material blessings. And in each of these gifts, in an acknowledgement of his ownership, and of our offices merely as stewards of those gifts, he requires that we return a portion to him. A portion of life. A portion of our relationships. A portion of our time and a portion of our means. We are to make God a first and best priority in our lives by guarding the sanctity of life. Let me go through these one more time. Let's look at the application. We are to guard the sanctity of life. We are to keep our bodies holy as the holy temple of God. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, what? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God has claims upon our bodies. And when we do things to ourselves that shorten our lives, that becloud our minds, that feel good now, but maybe we'll pay later, Friends, it's, it's robbing God of the gift that he has given to us. In the same way, our relationships with one another. In every relationship, are we not to put Christ first? Now, this is a difficult verse for many of us, but I think it's worth noting here. Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's a difficult verse. It's not saying, of course, to hate your father and mother, or to hate your wife. Uh, Obviously, I don't hate my wife, Christina. (laughs) But what it's saying is, is in in the preferential order, do we put our family ties ahead of our relationship with God? Do we value our father, mother, or children or spouse, more than we value God? Would we turn our back on God in order to keep our relationship with our spouse? Or would we say yes to God first, even if it means a difficult relationship? Friends, that's the question that God asks to you and me today. Our relationships, our our life, our relationships, 
Next is the gift of time. What does God say about the Sabbath? We find that in Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways or finding your own pleasure or speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And look at the blessing here. And I will cause you to ride on the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Last but not least are the material blessings that God has given to you and to me just as he gave Adam and Eve the fruit of the trees of the garden, has he not given to each one of us here bountiful material blessings? Now, I doubt any of us here is rich. I certainly am not. But how many of us have enough food to eat when we get up in the morning? How many of us, when we go home from church today, We'll at least have a roof over our heads, a bed to sleep on, a family to take care of us or to take care of. You see, friends, we are blessed, blessed beyond measure. How do we use these blessings? Do we recognize them for what they are, as gifts from the hand of an almighty God? Do we accept them with the gratitude that we owe to that life giver? Do we return a portion? Do we return the portion that he claims as his own? Friends, we have a part of our worship service and we, we do it every single week. And sometimes it becomes just perhaps a routine. We pass the plate around, put a dollar in, now I know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. I want to say thank you because you, our members here, are faithful. Thank you for your faithfulness. And this is not a message here to tell you you need to be more faithful. I'm not here because I'm saying you need to be more faithful, you need to give more. I mean, you've probably heard 100, 101 sermons like that and you go home feeling, well, that preacher just... That's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm talking about this today. You see, friends, if anything, I want us to experience a blessing. And, and just while we're talking about this, let me digress for a minute and talk about kind of how our system works. I know this is a review for most of you, but what is the tithe? How do the offerings work? Well, as we've already seen, a tithe and I didn't go into, I didn't have a PowerPoint here, I didn't go into the definitions of the, of the words and the Hebrew and the Greek, but we could, we could go into that. But a tithe is a tenth, a tenth of our increase. Just as the children of Israel gave a tithe in the ancient time of Israel, just as the, even the scribes and Pharisees gave a tithe of the things that were their increase, so what about us? Does God not call upon us to return a tenth of whatever that increase is, be it large or small? I have many people tell me, but I'm on a fixed income. I, but I only have, I mean, 
By the time I take out rent and electric and maybe a telephone and a dollar or two for food, well, I, I don't have anything left. And I, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But friends, I want to tell you something. I have found in my own life, as I am faithful to the Lord, that God can make nine-tenths go so much further than 100%. That when I am faithful and return that 10%, that the 90%, I don't know how it works. I don't know how, the math does not seem, it does not work on paper. But I can tell you that it works in practice, friends. And I'm not standing up here saying, you need to give more to the church because I'm the preacher and I get... In case, in case those of you here um, may not know, and I think most of you do know this, but I'll, I'll mention it again. You saw we saw this principle of a storehouse. That the, bring the tithes into the storehouse. That the tithe didn't go just to one priest, but it went into a storehouse from which those priests received their payment. Well, in the same way, well, we don't have priests, of course, but in our church, in the Seventh-day Adventist church, there is a storehouse. Not at the local church, but within the conference. The Kentucky-Tennessee Conference, in our case, is the one who is responsible for cutting the paycheck for every pastor in the conference. Did you know that virtually every pastor in the conference gets exactly the same, whether they have a big church or a little church? It's kind of odd if you think about it. But in the same sense, it's really a beautiful thing because I don't have to stand up here and say, well, friends, it's been pretty slim this week. (laughs) On the other hand, if if I stand up and preach a difficult truth. There are some things in the Bible that are difficult. Tithing may be one of them. But if I stand up and preach a difficult truth, you say, well, that preacher's no good. I'm not giving him anything this week. It doesn't directly impact the paycheck that a pastor gets on a week-to-week basis based on how much you put in the offering plate. Now, there are some churches, the, the smaller, the congregational churches, that do work that way. But in our church, it's not that way. It, it works through the whole group of over 100 churches uh, throughout the, the entire conference. There's a storehouse. And when you come, when you get your paycheck, this is what I do. I'm not telling you what to do. But what I do, when I get my paycheck, first thing I do is I mark on that tithe envelope and write it down and put in the tithe and then the offerings. There's different places you can mark on the offerings. The, the collection that we take up in the offering plate, it's not tithe, the the loose offering is what I'm saying, the loose offering that goes in if there's no tithe envelope, it's not tithe, it goes to a designated uh, whether it's the local church budget or a conference or a worldwide ministry, but the tithe is put in the tithe envelope and you mark on that tithe envelope how much it is and that it's going for tithe and then our church treasurer will send that, not to the pastor but to the conference and then from there it's distributed to the different ministries and the, and the pastor's of the conference. Anyway, I digress a little bit, but I, I wanted to just talk about that just a little bit. 
But again, let me reiterate, I'm not here. I'm not here saying you guys need to be more faithful, you need to give more tithe, you need to give more offerings. Friends, <laughs> I thought of this story. When I was a lot younger, I remember going to the beach with my family. You ever been to the beach? Okay, two of you have been to the beach before. Okay, okay, we've been to the beach, right? I love going to the beach. And when I was a kid, I remember digging in, just right next to the seashore, just digging down in the sand, down, 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 until all of a sudden you see the water from the ocean coming up and filling, filling up, and I would dig down. Then I would take my bucket. I had a little bucket, and I would take the water out and pour it into the ocean. Take the water out, and it, it slowly fell back up. Now let me ask you, friends, how long would it take me to fill up the ocean with my little bucket, digging the water out of that little hole and pouring it into the ocean? How long would it take to fill up the ocean? Friends, who is God? Is he not the creator of the universe? Is he not the creator of this whole world? If you return your tithe, let me just ask you on the opposite side. If you don't return your tithe, do you think that God will go broke? <laughs> if I didn't scoop that water out of my little hole, out of my little sandcastle, and pour it into the ocean, do you think the ocean would run dry? Does God need your money? No. God doesn't need your money. But friends, there is one thing that God wants more than anything else. And that is your heart. And when we give to God our hearts, really, friends, the money isn't an issue. Because God promises such a blessing. Let's read it here. It's one verse we skipped over. Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. For you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And listen to this, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in your field, says the Lord. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. What a promise. Bring the tithes into the storehouse and prove me. Friends, have you proved God? Have you tested him? Have you taken him at his word? I know it doesn't make sense. But I can tell you, friends, from my own experience, I cannot afford not to prove God. I cannot afford not to prove God. Jesus says in Matthew in Mark chapter 8 verses 34 through 37 Whoever desires to come after me 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Profit and loss. How can we profit? Friends, if we are only stewards, then the only way that we can profit is by giving to God what is rightfully His. What did He give for you? Has He not given His life for you? I gave my life for you, Jesus says. Well, what have you given for me? Oh, loving Father in heaven, Lord, you have not only created us, if that was all, it would be more than enough, but you have come from the heights of heaven down to this dark earth to redeem us. You've given everything for us, and Lord, we stand here now saying, yes, Lord, I'll take up my cross. I'll follow you. I'll return to you not only what is yours, but everything that you call me to. Bless us each now as we go our separate ways. May we be faithful to you in Jesus' name.